Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. This is J.R. Everhart. Some call me minister, others call me pastor, most call me friend. Today we are going to dive into a, um, a journal entry of mine. I journal quite a bit, not quite as much now as what I did when I first got into recovery um, seven and a half years ago. But um, I did an enormous amount of writing, uh, probably the first two, three years in recovery. I actually wrote a um, complete book on um, sex addiction and then uh, just did an enormous amount of daily journaling about things God was speaking to me and just how I was navigating through um, my day-to-day struggles. And just getting real and getting honest with God, um, learning how to clean out my closets and uh, rid myself of secrets. Um, in in Celebrate Recovery, we teach the idea that you're only as healthy as your secrets. You know, so if you have a closet full of skeletons, you're not very healthy spiritually, uh, probably and psychologically. Um, it's when you clean that closet out that uh, you find enormous amounts of freedom and you can stand upright before God and your fellow man and just be a person of integrity. So this entry was called My Own Worst Enemy. Um, and it, it goes like this. I don't know what's worst, uh, my own distorted view of myself. I have to fight through and wrestle with every day or society's view of who I am. Now, many people will jump in here and say, I don't really care what others think. Um, And they'll get on that bandwagon as an escape or coping mechanism to not deal with these issues. But I think deep down, everybody really does care what other people think about them. Um, They may not care what the mass you know, groups of people of society think about them, but they definitely care about um, the opinions of the people they respect in their life, you know. So I don't think anyone can honestly say, I really don't care what others think of me, uh, because there's probably a handful of people in your life that you are very much concerned with their opinion of who you are and how you live your life, Um So spiritually speaking, this is a war against how God sees me and who the enemy is trying to get me to become because there's always a constant struggle between those two things. There's the truth of who you are in Christ, and then there's the enemy constantly whispering in your ear trying to get you to uh, re-identify yourself with what he has planned for you. Uh, I stand in the middle of this battle trying to do good and mostly ignore the lying voices in my head telling me, Uh, I'm a failure and have no self-worth. This is exhausting, and I've counseled many quote-unquote tough guys that were struggling with this at their core just as much as I did. Uh, Guys, something that that, that people won't tell you in church most of the time or that they didn't teach you in Sunday school was, you know, all the heroes of the Bible and all those guys in the Bible that, um, you know, we look up to, you know, they all struggled with the same stuff we struggled with. You know, they were all fully human. Um, they all struggled with abandonment and struggled with being accepted and validated. And, you know, they had the same enemy whispering in their ears 
trying to tell them that they were nobody and nothing just as much as, you know, we deal with today, you know. Um, so none of us are exempt from this battle, but it can really take a toll on us if we don't uh, stop and do an inventory of where we are and what we're focused on. Focus is key in staying on track uh, with who we are and what sounding board we choose to weigh our self-worth against. Um, for me, it's the Bible and God's truth that I have uh, I have to receive by faith. Faith that I'm enough even when I feel defeated and lost in my failures. Uh, faith that God loves me in spite of myself. Um, I also add to that that God not only loves me, but he, he likes me. He likes who I am, and he likes who I'm trying to become. Um, faith that I can receive love from those around me without thinking they have a hidden agenda and can never be trusted. That's something that I've struggled with very much in my life is truly believing that when people say they love me or that they're my friend or they care about me in any way, that they're only saying that so they can manipulate me somehow and get something that I may have authority over in my life. This goes along with working in the music business where most of the people in the music business you work with are really just trying to get something from you. Um, so after, you know, 30 years of that in my life, it can sometimes be hard to believe that people don't have hidden agendas, but, you know, through my recovery process and through a lot of counseling in my life, I have learned to give people the benefit of the doubt and just kind of test the waters as I go. I'm cautious with people, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to rob myself of the opportunity to have a beautiful friendship with someone or have the chance to sow into someone's life or have the chance to receive something that someone needs to sow into my life, you know? Um, and sometimes when we dismiss people um, in fear of them having a hidden agenda, we rob ourselves of that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, uh, I need to believe that... Uh, and have faith that um, I don't allow my fear of abandonment to rob me of all the beautiful people God's placed in my pathway. Uh, that goes along with what I was just saying. That's a lot of faith that I mostly don't think I exercise correctly. You know, I mean, I really try, but most of the time I feel like I'm not really getting it as correct as what I see in the Bible. But uh, you know, in saying that, I have to also speak truth that, you know, who is really getting it right all the time? No one, you know, uh, we're all just trying to do the best we can do. It's hard to believe that you're okay and a good person when all you see is your failures. Um, again, focus. This always comes back to focus. If you're focused on your failures, you'll never be able to see the good stuff God is trying to work in your life. Uh, I have to keep my eyes on Jesus and believe that uh, through him, I can be loving, joyful, kind, long-suffering toward those that are hard to love, uh, peaceful, good, and faithful to all the things that I put my hand to. That's basically the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I need to be someone, you know, that has his eyes on Christ and can believe that the fruit of the Spirit can operate in my life. Um, this is what God tells me to be. And... Um, that as long as I am focused on him and really giving, really honestly giving it 100%, um, that his grace is sufficient for all things, including my failures, including my sin. Um, and I know this is true, and I believe it in my heart, but boy, is it exhausting, you know? Um, 
I think this is why it's so important to stay connected with fellow believers and positive people in your life. The enemy is always trying to get us alone and isolated from the loving voices of wisdom uh, from those around us. You know, um, the enemy's constantly trying to isolate us because when he has us isolated, then that's when he can really try to weave his lies into our thinking um, most effectively. When we are constantly connecting ourselves, and we're going to talk about connection here in just a second, but uh, when we constantly are connecting ourselves to positive people, uh, people who are brave enough to challenge us, you know, and to challenge our thinking and challenge our belief system, um, then that makes us dig in deeper, you know, to ask ourselves why we do the things we do, why our behavior is in the way it is, and why we believe what we believe. Uh, that promotes growth, you know. Um, honestly, that's where the victory is uh, for those of us that believe, connection. You know, we are built for connection. Um, if you listen to any of my other podcasts here, you'll hear me talk a lot about connection. Um, we live in a world now where we technology and everything else and social media and all that kind of stuff gives us a false virtual idea of connection that most of us play out from day to day. But when I speak about connection, I'm talking about face-to-face, one-on-one, or even in group setting, you know, type connections where you're physically, you know, connecting in conversation face-to-face with other people. Um, I think that's what we're built for. You know, I don't think we're built to be stuck in our homes on our cell phones or our computers, you know, 24-7 without any of that face-to-face physical connection with other people, you know, going out to dinner with friends and, you know, going to church or doing Bible study or just going to the movies or vacationing with friends or, you know, things like that. All that stuff helps us stay on the right path because we're constantly getting loving and uh, hopefully godly wisdom and positive input um, and reflections from the people around us. And that is way easier to walk in that way of life than it is in an isolated life. Um, this reminds me of a catchphrase that we throw around a lot in recovery, and it's based on James five sixteen. It goes like this. If we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. But when we confess our sins to each other or another human being, we are healed. So the forgiveness process or the healing process of failure, getting over failure, breaking cycles of failure, breaking cycles of bad habit patterns in your life, all that kind of stuff really is twofold. It's first in your prayer life with God going boldly before the throne of grace and asking for forgiveness and getting washed in the blood of Christ. And then the second part of that is getting with a a person you can trust, a best friend, a sponsor, someone you can go deep with, someone you can tell your deepest and darkest secrets to, and it's not going to judge you, and it's going to always point you toward the cross uh, for uh, restoration. Then through that process, it's telling us here in James 5.16 that we are healed. So when you do both of those things, that's how you really, really tap into true restoration and true enlightenment, you know, and and discover the truth about who God is and the truth about who you are. Because when you couple those two truths together, um, that's that's how you become whole. That's how you become well-adjusted 
or as adjusted as we're ever going to be on this planet, you know? And it's God's absolute will for you to become that. You know, Christ hung on a cross so you can become whole, so that he could lift your burdens. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you that are burdened down and are weighed down, you know, uh, with the stress and the anxiety of this world and give it to me and let me carry that and take up my yoke, take up my burden and see that it's light and it's easy to carry, you know, which is his forgiveness, you know? So if you're not living in freedom and you're not a free person, and I define a free person as if you're free, you know, you're free. You don't have to sit and think about it. So if I was to ask you, are you a free man or are you a free woman, there shouldn't be any hesitation in your answer because if you're free, you know you're free. If you have to question that and really think about whether or not you're free, chances are there's some junk in your life that is kind of clogging that up. Um, maybe you strayed away from you know a once vibrant relationship with Christ uh, maybe you got, you know, pooped on by the church and that kind of busted your groove and you got away from God because of that. Um, not that you were necessarily mad at God, but that you just felt like, you know, maybe you were taught like I was that the only way to connect with God is to go to church, which is false. Uh, church makes that, that a whole lot easier when you're in a good supportive church with healthy Christian mature people. Uh, but it can also hinder your process when you're in an unhealthy church, in a toxic, you know, church that's not doesn't have good, solid biblical teaching and people who are trying to love each other. Um, you know, church goes both ways. It's a two-edged sword. It's just like it's just like every other environment where our work environment is the same way. There's good people at work. There's bad people at work. Um, your local bar is that like that, you know, you can walk into a bar and there's good people there who will give you the shirt off their back and pull over and help you change a, you know, a flat tire alongside the road. And there's people who are horrible who will, you know, rob you blind if you turn your back on them, you know, so there's good and bad people, or as the Bible calls them, wheat and tares in every church, you know, there is no perfect church. You know, but that's it's it's tough to love God's people sometimes, you know, because of the things that we get wrapped up in in this world, and maybe that had an effect on you in a negative way, and that you know affected your relationship with God, you know, so maybe you know through this podcast or other things that God is trying to bring across your pathway, he's trying to draw you back to him. You know, he's trying to say, hey, look, that had nothing to do with me. That was man, you know, that was man's mess. And believe me, I've been dealing with it a whole lot longer than you. And I know it a whole lot better than you do. And I've been hurt much more than you have by the antics of man. Um, how about we just come back together and sit down and talk about where we are and talk about how we can get you back on track and get you back into this intimate relationship that I so desperately want to be with, be in with you, you know, because that's really what God desires most is to have that intimate personal relationship with you and be part of every crazy little thing that's in your life, you know. Uh, God greatly desires to be in the middle of all your junk because when he's in the middle of your junk, he starts to pull purpose out of your struggles and he starts to grow you beyond the things that are holding you back. 
He starts growing you beyond the, the hurts and the habits and the hangups that are getting in the way of your freedom and getting in the way of your junk or in the way of your restoration. That junk is getting in the way of your restoration. Um, so this is, you know, th- this was actually not part of my message today, but, you know, I-, I feel like maybe this is meant for someone, you know, maybe this is meant for, for you. Maybe you just bumped into this podcast and have no idea who I am or anything like that, which that's not important because I'm no one special. Um, I'm just somebody out here walking the clumsy walk of trying to be a man of integrity and, you know, follow what the Bible says to follow, you know. Um, but I, I fervently believe that God loves us just exactly the way we are and has an enormous desire to grow us beyond all the junk that is getting in the way of our freedom. And that's not something that you necessarily hear preached correctly in most modern churches, especially in what we call the modern church here in the United States, uh, which is really nowadays teaching a hyper-grace message where God is okay with your sin, just be a good person and love him and everything's going to be all right. Um, God is much more concerned with your growth that leads to freedom than he is your comfort level, you know, and that's not a popular message. I always teach in recovery groups that you're not going to build any mega churches on that message because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> that truth is a little jagged pill that's hard to swallow at times, but it brings enormous amounts of freedom and deliverance into your life. And if you feel like you're bound up by something in your life, maybe it's you know, addiction of some kind, and addiction comes in many, many forms. It's not just drugs and alcohol. Um, it can be pornography. It can be, you know, sex addiction. It could be addiction to love and excitement. You know, it can be an, an addiction to your career, to anything that gets in the way of your relationship with God and that you are compulsively behaving, you know, through can easily be labeled as an addiction. You know, there's a whole lot of people that are just addicted to self, just addicted to the idea that they are the cat's meow and the world revolves around them and they think they've never made a mistake and, you know, they have massive amounts of control issues and uh, have a, a big old superiority complex and they are their own God in their mind, you know. That's as a compulsive behavior as you could possibly imagine and can be just as destructive as a heroin addiction because all those things we're calling addictions or calling compulsive behaviors are really just coping mechanisms that we have decided to adopt in our lives to deal with the hurt and the pain that we're afraid to face that's really the bottom line you know that's where all of us are, and we're all in some kind of denial to some degree or another trying to run from that hurt, trying to run from that pain, and when we get real about serving God, God wants to purge all that junk out of you, you know, but he can't grow you if he can't challenge you, so that requires an uncomfortable process of growth that you have to somehow find comfort in. And in recovery, we call it learning to love the process. You know, you have to learn to love the process of recovery. You have to learn to love the process of growth, love the process of discipleship, 
you know, love the process of self-help, how it, whatever label you want to put on it, it's about making you a better person. And it's very, very uncomfortable at times, you know? Well, the second you realize that that uncomfortableness is a flag saying, hey, I'm trying to grow you, then your your perspective on that uncomfortable process changes. And you start seeing that as hope being implanted in you because you know God's trying to purge something out of you. He's trying to push something out of your life that's getting in the way of your freedom. And you know, guys, if if you've never had an experience with, with God or with Christ, it's really super easy to you know, accept him into your life and to just give him an opportunity to show you just how beautiful life really can be. You know, maybe you're somebody who has, you know, wealth and fame or everything that anybody could ever want in this world, but you're miserable. You know, I work in the music business and I brush shoulders with some very big name people throughout my career, my 30 year career, uh, working in production, and some of the richest people that I've met were some of the most miserable people that I've ever met. You know, the people who had the lives that everyone envied many, many times, not all the time, but many, many times were the people who really were the most unhappy and unsatisfied in their life. And I gauge success in my life by that satisfaction level, you know, by having peace and harmony and a track record of good decision making, you know, what true sobriety looks like, honestly, you know, that's how I define sobriety is with those things. That's true success. It's not about your bank account. It's not about, you know, all the things that this world gauges success by, it's really about do you love the person that you're looking at in the mirror every day? Because many times you're your own worst enemy. Many times, maybe your bank account's fat, but you can't find any peace and happiness in life. There's an illustration that I give many times when I'm talking about this, this sort of thing, and it goes like this. There was a rich man who was standing out on his balcony one day, looking over his, his property, and uh, way down at the end of his property was his, um, his maintenance guy that does his gardening and stuff like that. And he's looking down there at that guy, and he's like, man, that guy, he's got it made. You know, he's got a loving family and healthy children that love him and respect him, and and uh, he doesn't have a board of directors to deal with, and he doesn't have all the stress and pressure and anxiety of having money and questioning people's motives behind their so-called friendships with with me and, you know, all that kind of just has, the dude just really has no idea how good his life really is. Meanwhile, the gardener is down there looking up, you know, waving at his boss up on the uh, balcony saying, man, does that guy have it? He's got all the money in the world. He doesn't know what it's like to struggle to pay his bills or have to worry about coming up with money for Christmas presents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's just got everything, all the fancy cars and the swimming pool and everything that, you know, I wish I could have and will probably never have in this world. And the moral of the story is, your focus is really what defines your happiness and your, uh, 
your satisfaction in this life. And the Bible tells us many times that we need to be satisfied with what we have before, you know, we can expect to have more. Um, we have to learn contentment and gratitude. You know what I mean? You know, the rich man was miserable because he's focused on all the negative things in his life. The gardener's miserable because he's focused on all the negative things in his life. When they both need to be thankful for what they have, where they're at. God does not give a rip how much money you have or what your status quo is in society and how many Facebook friends you have or how many people like your posts or all the things that we use to validate ourselves these days. He, he, he really doesn't care about any of that. None of that stuff means anything with him. Because what really means something to him is your relationship with him and how you're living your life, that you're honoring Christ's sacrifice on the cross by living in the fullness of what he gave us on the cross, which is freedom. Do you know what that freedom's like? Can you truly say you're satisfied with life? Or are you focused on your struggle? The Bible tells us in many different ways that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, you know, that we are blessed and that, you know, God desires to, to bless us. But the other side of that conversation that is rarely talked about is the scriptures that say things like, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added. You know, things like that. You know, that obedience is better than sacrifice. Those are the jagged little pills of truth that are hard to swallow. But it's part of the walk. And if you're someone who doesn't know what that walk is like or what I'm talking about here seems foreign to you or if you're where I was, say, eight years ago and just was losing faith and had lost hope in any of this stuff ever, you know, being part of my life, I'm here to tell you that I went from a man who was just hoping God would just kill me and was fighting suicidal tendencies each and every day to being someone who is enormously satisfied and happy with life. I have a beautiful wife. You know, I don't have a lot of money in the bank. I struggle just like everybody else. You know, I'm no one special. I'm not that important. But I'm very thankful for where I am. I'm very thankful for the, the little things that God does in my life each and every day. Because it's those little things that really speak to me. It's those little things that prove to me that God is there and he's looking out for me day in and day out. You know, my kids are healthy. Do they do everything I want them to do? No, because they're kids. They are what they are. My kids are grown. They're in their 20s. You know, but they're figuring life out on their own. And I cover them in prayer and I give them the freedom to discover life and God and this world and the universe just the way I did. You know, I have a wonderful career. I have everything to be thankful for in my life. I'm fairly healthy for the most part. I'm 47 and getting old. My body don't feel quite the way it did when I was 27, but I'm still thankful for where I'm at. I'm not laying in a hospital. You know, I didn't die in a car accident today. You know, I could be pushing up daisies. I'm thankful for those things. And the more I focus on the things I'm thankful for, 
the more I have hope and the more I depression leaves the scenario, you know, depression fades away and positivity starts taking hold of my life. But I could, I have problems, people, just like everybody else. I could sit here and easily focus on those problems and focus on the things that my failures, past failures, which I can't do anything about, you know, worry about the past, you know, or let the past, you know, rob me of any kind of joy today. Or I can worry about tomorrow and, you know, how I'm going to pay the bills tomorrow or how I'm going to get through tomorrow or, you know, and, and I've said this many times, you know, in my teaching is that we let the stress of uh, uh, yesterday and the worry of tomorrow rob us of today. And we really need to just live in the moment. We need to just trust God that he's enough no matter what's happening. So it really is about focus. And then it comes down to our motives, our motives and trying to be everything we can be for God. But I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to wrap up here, okay, because this kind of took a left turn, and I think God wanted it to take a left turn. But I want to give you an opportunity to accept Christ in your heart. Maybe you've never had that opportunity. Maybe you didn't grow up. I'm, I'm meeting many, many young people these days who grew up in families where religion was not a part of their their family culture, you know? It was not a part of who they were, you know? Their, their parents were scorned by the church, and they raised their kids with nothing. There was no Sunday school. There was no anything. So maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because really the gospel in the whole Bible can be summed up in two words. Trust me. It doesn't have to be complicated. Man makes it complicated. If you don't believe me, just look at all the different denominations of Christianity there are. There's going to be no denominations in heaven. That's a man-made thing. And God has tolerated it, and it causes us problems on a regular basis and, you know, all that kind of jazz. That's what man does with stuff. That's what we do. We kind of screw things up sometimes. But God is powerful enough that he works good even in the face of, of junk, you know. And uh, the 23rd Psalm, it says, he will set a place for us at the table of our enemies, you know. And I think that's a scripture that really speaks to the idea of even in the face of great evil, God is going to be present and say, hey, look, Jack, we're setting up camp here and there's nothing you can do about it. We're going to love people and we're just going to, you know, help people and we're going to be pillars of our community and uh, try to point people toward the cross, which is what I want to do for you right now. If you've never received Christ into your life, it's this easy. Just repeat this little prayer after me. Lord, Heavenly Father, I have doubts and I, I there's questions that I feel like I need answered but I'm not going to let that stuff get in the way of an opportunity to enter into a relationship with you. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you into my heart. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of all my sins and wash me clean in the blood of Christ. I renounce sin in my life. And I accept joy and peace and love. And I want to live for you, Lord. I have no idea what that's going to look like. 
but I'm going to trust you that you're going to guide my steps each and every day. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to a bloody cross to die for my sins and three days later raised from the dead to empower us with restoration and freedom in our lives so that we can be restored and we can be resurrected out of our failures and out of our sin in our life. Lord, I receive all that. And I ask you to recreate me, Lord. Lord, I pray that you send people across my path, healthy, godly people who can help point me in the right direction of being able to get involved in a fellowship, in some sort of church, or even in just a men's group or a woman's group of, of believers that can help me discover who you really are. Lord, I pray that you give me a burning desire to read your word and revelation knowledge of it. Lord, I pray that the words jump off the pages and just absorb into my soul, Lord, so I can discover you on my own, Lord. That I don't call myself a Christian because some pastor or TV evangelist stirred up my emotions or made me feel afraid of burning in a hell, but that I discovered you for the loving, gracious God that you are through your word. That I I can feel you working in my life each and every day, Lord. I need that desperately. And I need you to reach into my life and into my mess. And I need you to start pulling purpose out of it. I need you to start growing me, Lord. And Lord, help me to recognize the people you put in my path that you have sent there to help that growth process flourish. Lord, I'm just giving you my broken heart. It's all I have, but I surrender it to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, that's all it takes. That's the genuine truth that you need to present to the Lord each and every day. God already knows who you really are, so there's no sense in ever trying to think that you're hiding anything from him. So why not just be real and say, look, Lord, I need your help. Guys, I pray this every day. It is a part of my life every day. I live a life of constant repentance. And that's okay. That's how it's supposed to work. You know, the more God opens my eyes, the more sin I see in my life. And the more I've got to keep chipping away at the rock until it turns into a sculpture. So that I'm not my own worst enemy. But I'm someone that I can be proud of. You know, someone that I can look into the mirror and recognize who that person is. And say, hey, I know who you are and I'm not ashamed to look you in the eye. There was a time in my life where I couldn't say that. There was a time in my life where I was entertaining behavior and I was entertaining a lifestyle that was taking me absolutely nowhere. And when I got up in the morning and looked in that mirror, I was ashamed to even look at myself. I'm happy to report that that's not who I am now. And even with the crazy, stupid, sometimes huge mistakes that I make now at this point in my life, 
This is still the best version of J.R. Everhart that has ever walked the planet. And I'm still jacked up. Don't get me wrong. I've still got my own problems, and you follow me around, you will find sin. I'm still trying to chip away at that rock and make it a sculpture. But God sees the intentions of my heart, and he knows who I'm trying to become in him. And he loves the fact that every time I fail, I come running back to him. Lord, help me, fix me, show me what I'm supposed to learn through this, you know, and make me better so that the next time this situation arises in my life, I don't make this stupid mistake again. God loves that, man. He loves it. He loves it when we never give up on our relationship with him, that we always come back to him and always say, Lord, help us, Lord, help us. He don't ever get tired of hearing that. He loves that because that's what he does. He is the healer, the restorer. He restores our soul. Guys, I hope this ministered to you. If it did, if you prayed that prayer, please reach out to a church in your community. Get on Facebook and search for churches in your community or Google churches in your community. And you may have to go to four or five churches before you find one that fits. Okay? That's just the way it is sometimes. Um, You may go to the first church and that be the one. But I would ask that you just pray before you, you, you go or you choose where to go. Ask God to lead your steps. And try to get plugged into a fellowship of believers that can help water the word that we have planted in you here today. So that you don't have to be your own worst enemy, but that you can learn to love yourself once again. Forgive yourself for the things of the past. Establish yourself in a manner to where you don't worry about tomorrow and can live in the moment. I pray that you have a great week. I pray that you have a great weekend in Jesus' name.